Praise the Lord. As we continue on in our sermon series in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in his first letter to the Corinthians, we have now come to chapter 10. And so with that, can I invite you, if you have your Bibles, would you quickly turn with me? We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read first from verse 1 to verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, reading from verse 1 to verse 13. And the Apostle Paul writes, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolatrous, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them, and were destroyed by the destroyers. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we bow heads in prayer? Father, we give you thanks once again for your word that is so freely available to us, that even in this time of pandemic where we may not be able to gather physically to listen and to receive your word, we are still able, because of technology, still able to do so. And so, Father, as we gather into your presence, we ask of you, Lord, to speak to us, open our hearts to your word as we open your word to your heart that we may be able to receive and be blessed and to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, the servant title to date is simply entitled Idolatry, Immorality, and Grumbling. And it is important for us to be mindful as to why the Apostle was addressing on these very important topics. Because if you recall back in chapter 8, apparently, some of the Corinthians were attending festival in which involves feasting in the temple of pagan gods. And this was something that they had done previously before their conversion. And in their naive view, to them this was merely a normal practice of their culture. Such activities to their, under to their understanding entails no form of spiritual harm to them. Why? Simply because they claim to have acquired knowledge. Knowledge 
that there is only one God whom they worship, knowledge on the fact that this God sets them free from petty rules and restrictions of ordinary religious life. But Paul, if you recall, admonished them. Paul scolded them and told them, stressing that not all of you possess this knowledge. Hence, though they are at liberty and free to eat anything, they must also be mindful not to stumble their fellow brothers who may be weak in their conscience. And in doing so, not only are they sinning against one another, but they are sinning also against Christ. Now in our passage today, we find that now Paul offers another warning. And this is also a good warning for us as well. The warning here is for us not to be cocky into thinking that we won't be affected by such a practice. The thing here is to think that just because we may be a Christian for so many years, temptations will not affect us. Temptation will not come and make us fall. And if this is our thinking, listen to Paul's warning in verse 12. For he tells the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone who thinks that he stands... Take, least, take heed, lest his fall. And so to present his case, Paul in the opening few verses of chapter, of chapter 10, he uses Israel and, 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 and said that what had happened to them was merely an example for the Corinthians to learn. You see, Paul's point is that it doesn't matter how mature you may be, if you're not careful, your knowledge, and your knowledge is not balanced with caution, you will still fall. And he pointed out that while the Jews, they were wandering in the wilderness, he says here in verse 2 that they were all under the cloud, they passed through the sea, they drank the same spiritual food and drank the same drink, in verse 4. And best of all, we are told that they encountered the presence of Christ the rock in their midst. But yet, despite of all of this, Paul mentions in verse 5 that God was still not pleased with them. Why? Because they fell into sin. And in the apostles' own words, he says that they were overthrown in the wilderness. And so to ensure that the Corinthian church themselves do not end up like their forefathers, Paul now brings up three potential warnings for them to take note, beginning with the warning against idol worshipping. And so if you look with, to me, once again with me to your Bible, you'll find that Paul begins to issue this first warning in verse 7. He tells the Corinthians, do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now the grave sin of that particular generation was that of the worship of the golden calf as found in Exodus 32. And you will know the story that the Israelites, you know, despite experiencing God's mighty act of deliverance from slavery in Egypt, they saw the ten plagues that, that affected the Egyptians, but not them. You know, in, they, they saw God's hand parting the Red Sea, as well as the many miraculous signs and wonders. But yet we are told that the people's heart and mind was still on something else other than Yahweh. The fact that they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, as Paul mentioned in verse 7, refers here to the revelry and the dancing surrounding the worship of the golden calf. 
you find that this feasting can also be an allusion to another, uh, to another idolatrous episode where the people was craving for meat. And this time we look in Exodus chapter 16, verse 11, that it was this very sin of grumbling and complaining, which we will look at shortly, that ultimately led them to demand meat from God. And when the good Lord eventually did provide for them, you find that it only further led to the sin of gluttony and greed. So the first lesson for us and to the Corinthians is simply this. Paul is merely stating that if you are not careful, yes, you may be matured Christians, but if you're not careful, you too can also be influenced by idolatry. But you may say, but wait a minute, Pastor. I'm a Christian. I, I, I don't go to you know, temples. I don't go to, to, to worship other gods. In this case, yes, you may be true. But when we talk about falling, being influenced by idolatry, in this case, I'm not referring to the worship of physical idols or to other gods. In this case, I'm, when I talk about idolatry, I'm referring to anything that you place ahead of God. Are there things that you put in front of God? And these are things that is sometimes very common to all of us. It could be your time, your career, your family. When we fail to read our Bible or when we fail to attend church service but choose instead to do something else, that's where we put that thing ahead of God. That's where we become idolatrous. So yes, church, it is possible for us to be Christians for many years. It's possible for you and I to be matured believers in Christ and yet put other gods before the Lord. So let's heed this warning that we don't end up like that. The second warning then, as Paul gives to us, is found in verse 8. And this time in verse 8, the warning is simply this. He says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Now, here in this particular verse, Paul is drawing to the incident as recorded in Numbers 25, verse 1 to 9. So let's look at this rather rarely read passage. It's a very interesting passage in Numbers 25, verse 1 to 9. And the Word of God tells us in Numbers 25, verse 1, that while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to war with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. And the fierce anger of the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Now you find that the link between fornication and idolatry, as well as to feasting in the presence of idols, is clearly obvious in this passage. 
we are told that while Israel was at this place called Shittim, the men, the Israelites, the Jewish men, had sexual relationship with the woman at Moab. But what was worse about this was that Israel was invited to the participation and to the sacrifice of the Moabite gods. And this resulted in them eating and worshipping of idols. Thus we are told in this passage in Numbers chapter 25, verse 5, that Israel yoked herself to Baal of Peor. And this caused the Lord's anger to kindle uh, uh, against them, resulting in the death of 23,000 of the Israelites. Now, if you happen to be sharp enough, you'll notice here that Numbers 25, all right, as you continue to read on, you read that at the end of it all, Numbers 25 verse 9 tells us that those who died by the plague were 24,000 people. But then you recall that I mentioned, that Paul mentions here in the passage that those who died in a single day was 23,000. So why was there a vast difference of 1,000 people? Well, the truth is commentators have long been puzzled by Paul's amount. But the conclusion here was that perhaps Paul may have, you know, alluded to the story from memory and hence he just gave a rough figure. But for us, the exact number is not important. What's more important is to the point that Paul wants to make, and it is this, that if we are not careful, no matter how mature you may be, you too may end up engaged in sexual immorality against God. And you know, history, history has shown us how many men of God, how they have risen up, but yet because due to their lack of Control, they have fallen from grace as a result of sexual immorality. So if history has anything to teach us, it is that we must always be careful. We cannot say to ourselves that it will not happen to me. The final warning, as we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the final warning that Paul gives to the people is against complaining and grumbling. He says in verse 9 and 10, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, nor grumble as some of them did. Now this time you find that Paul was referring to what occurred in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 to 9. And you find that once again, food seems to be the main issue, though here there is no direct reference to idolatry. The sin is primarily against complaining and grumbling against God and His leaders. Now, I want us, church, to pause and want you not to miss this. Complaining and grumbling against God and His leaders is putting God to the test. Paul says this, and we read also in verse 5 of this number passage that we are told that the people spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. They asked God, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So on reflection, over this particular complaint, would Moses really bring the people out into the wilderness just for them to die there? 
Because if, Moses, if that was the intention of Moses, it would only mean that Moses himself would face and suffer the same faith. Furthermore, it is not true if you realize that the grumbling here was not due to the lack of food. Because the people themselves admitted that they were provided, but they were provided with what they term as worthless food, a reference here to the manna from heaven. So in truth then, we find that the grumbling was not against anything else, but that grumbling was against God. It was a test of His ability to provide for them. And of course, you'll find that there were many other passages in the Old Testament where the people in the wilderness will complain and grumble against God. For instance, we have Numbers chapter 12, which record of Aaron and Miriam, the brother of Moses, complaining against the leadership of Moses, and this resulted in Miriam contracting leprosy. And then, of course, we have this famous passage in Numbers chapter 16, which talks about Korah's rebellion, and this resulted in an earthquake swallowing up his camp. And then as we go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 10, we find that verse 9 continues to tell us that if we continue to complain against God, if we continue to test against God, we find that the Jews were being destroyed by serpents. And the event here is a reference to the bronze serpent in Numbers 21 verse 6, where the, as punishment for the Israelites' constant complaining, the Lord sent poisonous serpents to torment them. So the lesson, be careful. Be careful that we as matured Christians, we don't up grumbling, we don't up criticizing, we don't up complaining when circumstances or events don't go our way. What we should do instead is to, is, is to listen to what Philippians 2 verse 14 suggests. Paul tells us instead what we should be doing is this, that we should be doing all things without grumbling or questioning so that you may be blameless and innocent without blemish. Now at this point, we can probably hear the stronger Christian, you know, in Corinth, arguing with Paul as to what has this got to do with them? You know, why are you, Paul, talking about, about all this issue, about idol worshipping, you know, about sexual immorality, about grumbling? Well, the point, as Paul will point out, is simply this. The Corinthians themselves were very guilty of the same sins. You see, they were into sexual immorality, if you look in chapter 6. They were involved in idolatry in chapter 8 and in this chapter. They were murmuring against God. And you read this in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12. And no wonder we find that Paul stressing in verse 12 that he says that if anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he falls. And since it is so possible for anyone to easily fall into this temptation, Paul further encouraged his readers that at the same time, we have a God who is faithful, we have a God who is able to provide a way of escape. So how then, do we, how then do we not succumb to idolatry, immorality, and grumbling? And this is where I want us to refer back to our passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
as we continue in the passage and reading from verse 14 onwards. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, and Paul continues, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. <clears throat> the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifice participant in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So as we move on to verse 14, you find that Paul telling us, teaching us that the best way to overcome all these temptations is really to flee from them. And really, when he mentions this word flee, the passage that comes to mind, the story that comes to mind, is that of Joseph in, in, in Genesis 39, where Joseph fled from temptation from Potiphar's wife. But Paul continues to tell us in verse 19, that even though idols itself are nothing, he warns that nevertheless, Satan can still use it to lead us into sin. Moreover, you find that other passages in the Bible, for instance, like Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, and even Psalms 106, verse 37, teaches us here that idolatry is demonic. So therefore, relating now to the stronger Christian's practice of feasting at the, tip, at the, at the table of idols as though it, it is nothing, you know, Paul tells them that the moment you do this, he equates this as fellowshipping with demons. Paul then supports his argument by using the Lord's Supper and food offered to idols as further illustration. He says that when any believers partake of the cup and the bread, that person is having fellowship with the body and blood of Christ. He enters into this communion with the risen Lord. And if this is so, Paul continues to argue. He says, how then can you drink of the cup of the Lord and at the same time drink the cup of demons? These two cannot go together. A believer cannot partake of the Lord's table at the same time at the table of idols. Because when we do this, we are provoking the Lord to anger. Paul then presents the reason in verse 20 that pagan sacrifices are offered to demons and not to God. So therefore, if one is involved in such practice, they are, in Paul's words, participating with demons. The key emphasis to flee is thus solely for the individual to be committed solely to God and to be separated from what is unholy. And so we find that Paul ends this particular session 
with harsh words to the so-called Christians, he challenged them. He says, are you stronger than he? And the he here refers to God. And the implication here is simply this. Then since you and I, we are just mere mortals, this danger of idolatry, Paul is stating, cannot be understated. You see, in a secularized world, you and I, we are in this grave danger of following the same error which the Corinthian Christians have made. We can convince ourselves that if we, that, that if we can participate casually in whatever custom and culture, this may seem to be normal for us. But as the passage today raises a warning flag for us, it summons us to scrutinize our small compromises within the cultural system around us. You see, the very moment we find ourselves saying, no problem, you know, the world, the worldview, the culture is doing all this. I'm a strong Christian. I can handle this. I'm mature enough to know what is right and wrong. The moment we begin to say this, that's where we should pause and remember the warning of Paul to the strong Corinthians. We must bear in mind that though idols are nothing, they still have the power to influence and shape us. And at the same time, when we involve ourselves with all these idols, we are only courting the judgment of God. So the advice for us, therefore, Paul says, is to flee. What is left then for Paul in the remaining verses is to draw some general conclusion regarding this whole topic about food sacrifice to idols. We don't have time to go to read through the whole entire passage, but to summarize and to point out that the basic points here are clear enough because he repeats what he counseled in the last two chapters. And firstly, we find he says that our actions should always seek the benefit of others rather than ourselves. Verse 24. Paul introduced here the final segment of his argument by once again quoting the Corinthians' favorite slogan, all things are lawful. And then he reiterated again in verse 23, second part of verse 23, but not all things are helpful. And then to ensure that his readers catch it again, he repeated it one more time, all things are lawful, but not all things. And this time he says, build up. You see, it is the mark of maturity when we, if we claim to be mature Christians, we are able to balance our freedom and our knowledge with caution. And part of this caution is really to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why Paul exalts the need for us to build up. Here is a reference of loving action that benefits the whole community. The principle that Paul wants to impress upon the stronger Christian is not to seek their own advantage, but more for others. Why? Because he says in verse 24 that this is for the good of your neighbor. But Paul, knowing his sheep well, he anticipated the objection of the Corinthians, and in their mind they were probably thinking, you know, Paul, why should I not enjoy the food which I gave thanks for, even though it was offered to idols? Why should my liberty be curtailed because of another person's conscience? 
This is why now Paul replied, his reply introduced the second responsibility that we Christians ought to display. We first ought to, we first ought to, as Paul mentioned, seek the benefits of others. And now Paul says our second responsibility as Christians is to do all things to glorify God. He says in verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But church, here's the thing. We cannot glorify God when we cause another to stumble and fall. To be sure, our conscience, yes, may be strong enough to participate in some activities, and yet we may not be harmed. But we dare not use our knowledge in Christ, whether by words or action, that will stumble our weaker brother and sisters. Our deeds must always glorify God. And if it stumbles someone, then it is not glorifying God at all. So yes, as Christians, we do have knowledge, we do have freedom to do what we want, we are able to say what we want, but nevertheless, we must be careful in how we use it. It must always be balanced by caution on our part. For example, we know that the Bible does not forbid us to drink alcohol. And it's true. We can go out with our friends, we can drink beer, we can drink wine. What the Bible only teaches us is that we must not be drunk. And here's the thing. Though the Bible never says that we cannot drink alcohol, but will you refrain from drinking alcohol in front of a new convert? Because knowing that there will be repercussion. You see, if you carelessly use this knowledge and this freedom, that it is nothing, it won't harm you. But yet at the same time, when you do this, you stumble the new believer who is weak in his conscience. This will bring about a various serious consequence. So Paul is teaching us we need to balance what we know with caution. So in conclusion then, before Minghui leads us in the response song, let's close by holding on to Paul's words. Yes, Paul is saying all things are indeed lawful, but yet we must consider the following. Is what we are doing building others up? Or is it tearing them down? Is it pleasing me or is it glorifying and pleasing the Lord? The way we use our knowledge and relate to others indicate whether we are truly matured in the Lord. Let us pray. So Father, indeed, we want to thank you that Lord, your word is again so freely available to us. And, it's, uh, and as we are reminded today of your word, that we must be careful that we are not like the Israelites who are too overconfident in our own lives, such that we don't heed the warning, the danger that we can fall into idolatry, that we can fall into sexual immorality, and that we are grumbling. And in doing so, we bring this honour to you. So Father, help us as we receive your word today. May you continue to challenge us to do the right thing that will glorify your wonderful name. So we thank you. 
to avail ourselves to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.